Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. Welcome to Series 6 of Helpful Social Work. I'm Jerry, And I'm Jo. Throughout this series, we're looking at equality and anti-oppressive practice. We're using the Equality Act in England as a framework. Uh, We started off by revisiting the ethics and the social work role around fighting discrimination and the theories that support this. And each month now, we'll be looking at evidence of inequality related to a protected characteristic and considering how social workers can challenge discrimination and uphold rights. Last month, we considered age, and this month, we'll consider disability. You can find all of our podcasts at www.helpfulsocialwork.com and you can also comment there on um, what you think. Uh, Thank you to everyone who's liked us on Facebook. Um, We are at um, Helpful Social Work Podcast. Um, So again, you can can leave a comment there. And we're coming up to 100,000 downloads. Which is crazy. 1,200 or so. Yeah. So, yes, um, it's great that you're listening. Uh, If you are listening through iTunes or Spotify, you can leave a review there and that helps other people to find us. But we're just really delighted that people are still tuning in. Absolutely, we are. And um, we hope you find it as helpful as we do. One of the things that I love about um, this podcast is the opportunity it gives me to stop and think about things that are really important to social work. And for me, Thinking about disability today is is going to be a great opportunity. So it's a protected characteristic under the Equality Act in England, and it means you're protected by law from discrimination. And this is the same whether you're in Scotland, Wales, um, and in Northern Ireland, there is similar legislation. So social workers um, are often hired by public bodies, Um, and we have to consider disability, public bodies have to consider disability as a characteristic when carrying out their day-to-day work in shaping policy, in delivering services, and in relation to their own employees. And I think that, Jerry, all people have to consider that. I know certainly I'm an employer myself, and I know that that's one of the things that I have to consider all the time around access um, and making sure that when we're um, going for interviews and things like that, that we're having mind to those protected characteristics. So I think, you know, it's a consideration for everybody. And we need really to have due regard to the need to eliminate discrimination and to advance the equality of opportunity and to really foster good relationships between different people when carrying out their activities. So what does that mean? You know, being able to be inclusive, making sure that everybody has their voice heard, making sure that we value people. Yeah, so the public body's duty goes a little bit further um, in those regards about actively Mm. challenging discrimination and advancing equality of opportunity. And I think the fostering good relations between people is really significant for social workers, isn't it? It's part of mm. our ethos, um, making sure that people feel and are included in society and that there's interaction. We talked about that last time, didn't we, about intergenerational contact and relationships, um, how important it is for people not to be marginalised or separate somehow. And it's about seeing... Um, people's contributions as part of the solution all the time Uh, you know so for me 
those good good relations come from people seeking out each other um, as part of the solution for each other so that they're not it's not just kind of one person doing two and the other person receiving but it's that idea of collaboration isn't it that that is in that inherent in that as well and our own code of ethics of course require us to challenge discrimination and oppression uphold rights and tackle inequality and and that goes far beyond just what we must do in law yes it does and the um I mean, the law also, you know, we'll talk about this as we go along through the series. We'll keep coming back to it. But the law is has sets out these protected characteristics, but they're not comprehensive of all the ways in which people might um, be discriminated against or be marginalised or feel separate or, mm. or pushed out of society. And they also do intersect with one another. Um, so although we're going to be looking today particularly at how social workers avoid and challenge and, and and seek to end discrimination on the grounds of disability that will intersect with lots of other things that are going on um, for people so i suppose i wanted to start with revisiting what disability is and it is it is defined in the equality act um, i think that's quite a helpful place to start but again as with what you were saying about the, the law and the code of ethics it, it doesn't go as far as social workers tend mm. to think um, so under the equality act if you're you're disabled if you have a physical or mental impairment that has a substantial and long-term negative effect on your ability to do normal daily activities. Um, so that word impairment does tie in with the social model of disability um, and a human rights approach. Uh, so Basford did a position statement a few years ago around disabled adults and social workers working together and that set out what a social model of disability is and what a human rights approach is. Um, so for the social model, there's this um, traditional way of looking at disability as if it's located in the person mm. um, through a lens of, of what's wrong with someone, which is seen as the medical model. And the social model kind of turns that around and says people are disabled because of the prejudice that they face. So they might have an impairment, but it's the, um, it's the barriers around them that disable them. So what we're trying to do is identify solutions to those barriers and removing those barriers or reducing the effects of them try, rather than trying to fix the person. Um, mm. And the social model is, is the model that is preferred for disabled people because it empowers them and it encourages inclusivity. Um, and it's also the right model for social work practice because of the human rights sort of element of it. Um, one thing that, that I do want to note, which was noted in that Basel position statement, is that people who experience mental health problems um, and mental illness can sometimes say that the social model of disability doesn't work so well for them because they do experience a real challenge from their illness. Um, but social approaches and awareness of the, the social response to their illness and the there are still barriers you know, it can be really helpful so there's more of a discussion in mental health around social approaches mm. um, than there is around the social model is my understanding um, but all of this ties back to human rights which is you know we want to empower people as individuals to claim their rights to be able to live and be citizens and have full inclusion and full opportunity um, and it's the the disregard of people's rights and people's mm. dignity that causes the barriers. 
Yeah, it's such an interesting discussion, isn't it, really? Because you want to think systemically and respond individually. So you want to hear that individual story and understand the impact that day-to-day life you know, the encounters and the struggles that they have in their day-to-day life. But you also want to be looking around with them, scanning the environment the whole time and thinking about, as you say, what is it in this system, in this environment that can be changed and improved so that those barriers are removed, so that people have less obstacles to overcome as they live their day-to-day life. And so for me, it's about, as a social worker, you're always thinking about both of those things. And I think if you get if you get too fixated on the individual and reside all the issues and the problems and the solutions within that individual, it's a, it's a huge burden for any one person because it's, as you say, there's, there's, um, it's not enough for that. And it makes me think about, um, a colleague that I've been working with at the moment who, when we moved over onto, um, this way of working, so working virtually, for him, that became a huge barrier to his practice because he was profoundly deaf. So therefore, he couldn't access meetings or training or information in the same way. And it took a lot of effort for him and um, the department he was working with to overcome all the barriers that were put in place to get him to a place where he could actually access the right equipment and all of those things, which perhaps should have been there in the first place, I guess, yeah. um, rather than him having to really battle for it, which it was just, you know, one mm. extra stress on top of everybody else's COVID virtual experience that he had to tolerate, manage and navigate. Yeah. So I think we have to take yeah. really seriously the 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 collective voice of people who have experienced that highlights barriers um mm. including kind of the way that people perceive um can be or can be perceived um and also have a very person-centered approach to each individual person and their experience and their situation because how they how they identify and what they think of as their um the barriers that they face will be different from person to mm. person um yeah. I mean, that's that's social work, isn't it? It's individuals it in is. context and being very person-centred all the time. And I think there's a lovely um, United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Disabled per, um, per, the Disabled Person or Disabled Person states um, a whole range of principles, which I think are really helpful for social work. You know, and the first one is the respect for the inherent dignity, individual autonomy, including the freedom to make one's own choices and independence of persons. So that's really, you know, re-establishing and restating a person's a person's right to participate fully in their own life mm-hmm. um, and to think about what, what will work for them. Um, you know, full and effective participation and inclusion in society. I remember in the 80s, um, what that what was called social role valorization Wolfensberger was the big thing in the disability field but what it was all about basically was saying that you know all people should have access and to, to participating and being included in society in a way that's meaningful and and joyful and useful for them 
you know, um, there's also talking about respect for difference and acceptance of, of persons with disability as part of human diversity and humanity. And I really like that, that idea that it's, it, it's diversity rather than that model of that way of thinking about disability as something that's wrong or broken or, you know, yeah, needs model. to be yeah. the medical model. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and with that sort of respect and um, right to participate and live fully follows all the things around opportunity and accessibility and, um, you, yeah, enabling people to, to live a full life. Um, and I think I think we always have a tension in social work, don't we, between what we aspire to and what is practically possible. Mm. Um, but the the aspiration is, is so important as a starting point. That's why we have, that's why I like the UN declarations so much, you know, the Declaration of Human Rights, the rights of um, the disabled person, the, mm. the rights of the older person that we talked about last last time, um, mm. because they they say how things should be, and then yes. that's what we work towards. Yes, it gives us a fantastic starting point, doesn't it? Really, this is this is this is where we should be, and as you say, then we start to look at how can we make it so, and and looking at those structural barriers, um, and the individual resources and experiences that will inform us as well. I did want to ask you about the um, the point in the um, UN Declaration um, of the Rights of the Disabled Person about respect for. The evolving capacities of children with disabilities and respect for mm. the right of children with disabilities to preserve their identities. Because um, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't worked with um, younger people or children with dis a disability, um, but that understanding of growth is still there, isn't it? Yeah, um, absolutely. And... So young, all all young people or children are programmed to grow. Everything about them is about growth and development. And of course, if you have any kind of disability it might impact on some areas but it won't impact on all areas so there'll be things that are growing and developing differently and this is one of the reasons why when we talk about um, child developmental charts a lot of people um, prefer them to talk about stages rather than ages so that we can say this person has reached the stage where these are some of the things that they're doing because in disabilities you might reach those 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 stages later on and it's completely fine um, but it's about being really well aware that disability is not stagnant people gather new skills all the time people change and in particular um, as we think about children growing that we're very mindful about understanding their likes and their dislikes and how they see themselves and how they want to put be portrayed to the world um, and making sure that we're really attending to their individual identity and allowing them to show that and display that in the same way every other child and young person does. And then, of course, that we're thinking about those adolescent years and in particular that we're thinking about their um, expression of sexuality in those adolescent years because that's an area that's very important in disabilities and sometimes depending on the nature of the disability and the perceived vulnerability or the, or the distress about um, a person's ability to stay safe and protect themselves and make good choices, there can be a desire to keep 
keep disabled children young does that make sense you know like not allow them to participate in the same type of risk taking or explore exploration behavior that their peers might be mm. and that's another area where in social work we sometimes need to have quite tricky conversations um, yeah. with families with young people themselves yeah and positive risk enablement is um is a really helpful framework I think for thinking about mm. some of those things for children adolescents and adults um, and older people as well um, because you're right there has professionals you know we've been told that we've um, yeah, erred on the side of protection over happiness mm. um, and so you will in enabling people to thrive you will be enabling them to take risks that have positive benefits mm -hmm. um, as all of us do you know, yeah. in our, you know, we choose to do in our own lives. Um, and I really like the idea of preserving identity as essentially the kind of the opposite of stereotyping. Mm. Yeah, you know, so seeing the person and not what might be, um, you know, a particular um, challenge that they might face. Um, so it's just really, again, that's really positive message for social work, isn't it? That that declaration mm. includes preserving the identity of, of people as they grow up um, and go through life. And giving people enough experiences to have a, a, a really rich identity, Jerry, because that's the other thing. Sometimes when you're a child with a disability, your experiences can be quite narrowed um, around that protectionism again. I really like that idea of that kind of erring on the side of protectionism rather than happiness. But like with all our children, we want to give them as wide a range of experiences as we possibly can that so they can start to build their identity um, and show their identity and gather things to them that are meaningful. Um, and I think as social workers, we need to be kind of magpieing that for the children we're working with, if that makes sense, you know, really looking out for it and really kind of bringing those things to life for people. I remember a really wonderful colleague of mine telling me about um, how she got interested in, in working in social care and it was because when she was at school she was um, invited along on a trip to take some um, some children to the beach and there was this one particular child who was a wheelchair user and she ran down the hill with this kid pushing him <laughs> and he was just having the best time she's like I like social care yeah so um, so I, I wanted to just highlight um, a really positive experience I had from doing some work with Basra around developing the position statement. Um, but it's a position statement and a charter for, for disabled adults and social workers working together. And the conversations that we had about, or why why do we need something that says how we'll work together, started with this really wonderful um, reality, I guess, which is that we have common values and a common purpose and approach, um, and that's about achieving the best outcomes for people. Um, so the, the strand that's come through from disabled people's activism and the strand that's come through from social work ethics and mm -hmm. kind of capabilities and how we've developed, plus all the joint work that has happened despite all the challenges, um, you know, leads us to have this really shared idea. Um, and there's also this really positive reality that we can make better progress together. So we don't we haven't always worked well together there are contextual difficulties, but essentially together um, we can create a, this kind of society that both social workers and disabled people would aspire to. And actually, you know, for, for 
that there's an intersection of that those identities as well isn't there because there are um social workers with who have a disability as well um, mm. so i think it's just really positive to think about us as being having a shared um or being a community of practice you know with a shared goal and mm. expertise that we can bring together to further the way we work it's about seeing each other as allies isn't it and um uh, understanding that if we if we all work together then the problems the societal issues that we're struggling to solve will have richer and more options in terms of solutions to them if if we've got more people working on them um and that it's kind of not an an expert uh recipient approach i guess which is not what we're wanting um there's some really nice things about what social workers will do set out in the charter which i really like some real we statements so um, let's put our social work hat on and and read some of these statements because i think they're lovely we will start with the disabled person's own view of their situation priorities aspirations and preferences but the next one to me really strikes home to we will be honest about what is possible and what is not you know and it's that acknowledgement about the balancing act that a social worker has and also about resources and about what's structurally possible and not and i think for me if you can be honest about what you perceive as possible and not possible then the other person can challenge you about that actually mm. and can push those boundaries but they can't do that if they don't understand what is honestly in your head so you've got to offer them your limitations before they can push against them if that makes sense so i think honesty is 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 really well valued um and there's another lovely one here um we will act like people and not just follow mechanistic processes. So yes, instead of getting caught up in the task, we'll connect with the person. We will enter into their view of their own life um, and we'll sit beside them on that bench and let them tell us what they can see. You know, I think that that's, it's, it's, it's a lovely idea and we'll be ambitious for each other. And, and the, what I like about that is that actually means that they're ambitious for us and we're ambitious for them. Mm. So together we're thinking big and creatively because of course um, I was teaching someone today and they were saying, um, talking about when it all goes right, when it all goes right in social work, they went, it's just joyous. Mm. And I thought, yeah, actually it is. So there's many opportunities for us as social workers Um if we're working collaboratively to experience joyous times, um, yeah. we will. Sorry, Jerry. I just was going to read out one more, then I'll be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> we will continue to work to overcome power imbalances between disabled adults and social workers, leading to equal relationships and co-producing solutions. I just think we have to really understand power how we're using it, what we're doing with it and how other people see it. Yeah, and I think that's particularly the case when we're pressed, we social workers are pressed for time and resource, um, but also when you know, there's, there's real difficulties with engaging and understanding what people want and it would take more time and resource um, and that we need to just commit to that. Um, I say that, it's so much easier to say that than to, mm -hmm. to do it. Um, and I think that's where social workers can support one another and also where the alliance is really important. Um, 
you know, allying with user-led organisations, um, really trying to co-produce things, and um, you know, and understanding, kind of revisiting why this is. Um, yeah, there's there's an imbalance to be redressed. You know, mm. the reason that time and resource and expertise and co-production is needed is because people are held back. Um, so if you look at the Office of National Statistics site, which is my one of my favourite sites, um, um, you can look, you can find lots of evidence about the impact of social barriers that hold mm -hmm. people back and also how that intersects with other characteristics. So just a couple of things. I was just looking at it earlier today. Um, so disabled people aged 60 to 64 years are two and a half times more likely to have no qualifications than non-disabled people. Um, there's a huge employment gap, which people are, you know, I think, fairly well aware of. It's larger for disabled men than disabled women. So 31.7% difference between disabled and non-disabled men, 25% percentage point difference for women. Um, then you know, younger disabled people, um, 16 to 24 years, are less likely to live with their parents, um, which is not necessarily the case for the other population, um, the rest of the population. But then um, that, that changes once they get to 25 to 54, they're more likely to live with their parents. So it's almost kind of the other way around than um, certainly with my experience where, you know, I was at home and then I was away from home rather than that I might mm. have been at a school um, mm. and then back home. Yeah, um, okay. And there's also um, some really stark statistics around the um, experience of domestic abuse. So disabled yes. women are more than twice as likely to have experienced domestic abuse as non-disabled women. So it's, I suppose it's really helpful to understand that people are, are held back by those barriers, but we also need to kind of balance that with this sense of be ambitious. Um, so it's not about people being vulnerable. Um, they're at risk of not living a full life because of the barriers mm. that we put in place. So the, the you know, disability activists are fighting for equal rights and equal opportunities and for tearing down barriers um, rather than for protection. Mm. Um, and I think that we've learned yeah. a lot from that and social work has, has moved its thinking. Um, but it's, it's really important not to fall into that protectionist trap, I think. Yes, it's it's a real I mean, sorry, just as you were talking, then I was kind of running my head back through all the different phases that disability services in, in working with children and young people have gone through, um, you know, over the 30 years that I've been uh, involved with and, and looking at, at this type of work. And you're right. I mean, and protectionism is, is still, I think, much stronger than it needs to be um, in some of our responses. And one of the things that you talked about, which I was, which, which taking you back up a little bit, is about this idea of advocacy um, and ensuring that people have their voices amplified in the way they need it to be amplified. And I think for me in social work, one of the things that I've learned is that sometimes we're not the best people actually to do the advocacy work. Sometimes people need advocates who can talk against the systems that we're part of as well. Yeah. And so I think that thinking about um, 
making sure that people um, who have disabilities and experiencing barriers to living a full life um, know where they can get advocacy and know where they can get involved in activism and actually pushing is as important as us standing alongside them. Yeah, um, including we're yeah, not legal enough. challenges as well. Um, yeah. Some of the steps forward have been through legal challenges, haven't they? Um, yeah, and it's particularly, again, it's particularly complex when somebody um, doesn't have the capacity to state their opinion or their decision about something or to make a clear choice um, or to communicate a clear choice, um, which is where you know, advocacy comes in and also the Mental Capacity Act mm. comes in. And I think social workers really know what the legal powers, that the legal duties that they have to make sure people are heard and using those really well mm -hmm. is so important and the mental capacity act starts from 16 um, with provision you know for the voice of the child obviously being heard before that as well of course um, mm. so understanding how how we make sure that that people are heard um, and how we understand all the different ways that they communicate the preferences and wishes mm. Is, is and that we give them as, as yeah we give them I think I think it's about giving people as many opportunities as you possibly can and being able to acknowledge when your role doesn't do that and it was taking me back to a time um, when I worked in Australia and the resource that we had as a local authority I'll just say because obviously it was a it was different different language but as a local authority the resource we had was completely inadequate to the needs of the children who were in that area. But we just kept offering that same resource, if that makes sense, and, and finding different ways to do things with it. And, and you know, there, and there was a team. It wasn't that the team, the social workers who were working with these children and families didn't want to make difference. They really did. But there was real genuine limitations to what they were able to do. And so alongside the kind of internal agitation that was going on, the strategy that we came up with as social workers was to encourage the families to meet with each other and to start to talk about the issues and to start to find a voice of their own, really, mm. um, with which they could, which which they could kind of, we could add our voice to theirs then um, and amplify it. And so I think I think we need to be looking out for those opportunities. Yeah and offering the place for people to have those discussions and lead mm. them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not and leave I, everything to them. I'm not talking about, you know, because often, of course, um, if you are a family who has a child with a disability or if you're a young person or an adult with a disability, sometimes being asked constantly fight and put out for yourself Mm. can feel really exhausting and sometimes you don't have those resources so it's not about oh well we'll give you the the way forward and you go do it it's about actually saying we're going to join you come and join us and let's you know amplify those voices yeah, there's something really positive happening um in that vein right now in england so there's um, an organization called social care future and they've just launched um the first findings from an inquiry called whose social care is it anyway which is essentially asking people mm. with lived experience what they want adult social care to look like. And um, the initial things that they've said are, we want communities where everyone belongs, to live in the place we call home, to lead the lives we want to live, more resources, better used, 
sharing power as equals. And then there's lots that sits behind that. But those messages, um, you know, they, they absolutely chime with what social workers want, what we all want, you know, bearing mm. in mind that any of us could at any point need social yes. care. Um, and I suppose or have it's, a disability. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just led me to be to kind of revisit this question, you know, why is it that what stops us truly involving people and in co-producing? And I think I think sometimes for me personally, I would hide behind the kind of practical difficulties because you need more resource and you need more time and it takes a bit longer and all those kind of things. But all of that is is you know achievable. I think ultimately mm. it comes down to still an, an unwillingness to share power. Um, so that has I've been, that's something I've been thinking about a lot around how do I just yeah hand over more um, mm. to others um, and I was thinking about that with the podcast as well mm -hmm. um, when we had a conversation just before we started this podcast about how we might use this platform to to give a voice to, uh, to other people than just be talking amongst ourselves um, you know because I think there's I've, I find these conversations really really valuable and I also think that there's there's scope to to develop um, you know, to, to kind of there's an expression used isn't there about having a window different windows mm -hmm. so to use the podcast as a place for different people to look through different windows yeah I think it would be a fabulous idea I, I'm um, I think that offering other people uh, a voice um, if they have if they have things that they want to say about um, you know social work and helpfulness would be wonderful and I think that you know we have we have kind of encouraged people from time to time, haven't we? So oh, if you want to write in and let us know, but it, you know, um, this challenge is for us to be more active about that really, isn't it? And to actually go out there and start inviting some people in and see where, see where we get to. And I think that would be a great thing. Yeah. So we're saying it here so that we yeah. actually do something about it. Um, <laughs> I, I have faith in us. And I think that's the thing. It is, you know, maybe perhaps when you've got power, you keep it because, as you've said, it it feels like, you know, it'll take more effort to to do something. But actually, of course, the the more you the more views you have the more you sit beside people the more people who are in your life the richer and richer it gets um so it's it's a more valuable experience of course yeah yeah okay you heard it first here guys make sure that you put it put put yourself down in the um in all the different places you can leave us messages if you'd like to come and talk to us about social work and helpfulness which is which is really what what we're talking about yeah so we need some reflective questions don't they don't we and i mean the one that i'm going to be left with i think is still you know how do i genuinely co-produce and share power yep. with people lived experience and live up to the expectation in that charter that you said about um being ambitious for each other and thinking big and creatively and for me, it always comes back to thinking about the type of world I would want to be negotiating and navigating 
if I had a disability. So it's that it's, it comes back to Rawls' question, you know, like design a society as if you didn't know your position in it, mm. you know, and really and really start thinking as a social worker, how would how would I want social work to be for me? 